This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Howdy to all my automotive aftermarket peoples. It's Carm Capriato Aftermarket Weekly. Good to have you here. Week 143. I'm with my friend Rob Merwin from aftermarketmatters.com. What a great newsletter. If you don't get that newsletter, you got to get it because it's it's really the pulse of the aftermarket. I so appreciate Dorman for everything. We're at the Dorman OE Fix Studio and their continued support to bring you this great show. Dorman Products creates hundreds of new automotive replacement products every month. Part of what makes Dorman so unique is their ideation of new and innovative products. They have dedicated teams all across the U.S., Mexico, and Canada looking for new product ideas. Since every solution starts with a problem, these teams of researchers, field analysts, product specialists, and contributors consistently visit repair shops and make field calls. Now, this is to best understand the problems the industry is facing. In certain cases, Dorman will manufacture aftermarket replacements so you aren't forced to go back to the OE. Other times, experts take it an additional step, further solving what made the original part problematic in the first place. Solving for a problem is what powers the innovation engine at Dorman. Dorman Products has become an incredible engine for innovation. They are constantly bringing new replacement parts to the automotive industry, and they routinely release tens of thousands of parts across all different categories. Now, why do they do all of this? To enable technicians the freedom to fix their customers' cars and trucks. To do this, Dorman has dedicated teams focused on different aspects of the vehicle to ensure that they are meeting the needs of the aftermarket. Although a lot of their parts are reverse engineering of original equipment, they also redesign and redefine solutions such as their loaded knuckles or programmable electronic power steering rack. Dorman has invested in these OE Fix innovations to help you save time, your customer money, and prevent vehicles from coming back to your shop. In certain cases, Dorman will manufacture aftermarket replacements so you aren't forced to go back to the OE. Hey, want to know more about Dorman? Visit dormanproducts.com forward slash tour. Thank you again, Dorman. Hey, look, we're going to go on record with Rob Merwin. If you look at that picture and then now you see what Rob looks like, you're going to say, hey, nice beard, Rob. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Carm. It it comes and it goes. It ebbs and it flows. Happens about twice a year. Yeah, it's amazing. Keep it. It's distinguished looking. Aftermarketmatters.com, as I say, please get that newsletter. I, I love it. Look, we're here to go on record to talk about right to repair. A couple of things have recently happened. Number one, Congress and the House of Representatives and how that factors in. And also the John Deere Memorandum of Understanding that was just signed that has really had and can have and will have an effect on probably uh, every farmer we have that gets the food that goes on our table. So it's really big. And so monumental is the fact right now, Rob, that uh, we have a chance in Congress and some momentum behind us to possibly get this uh, passed. That's right. Right to repair is a very bipartisan issue. Even though the midterms in 2022, the Democrats lost the House but retained uh, control of the Senate, both parties have razor-thin majorities, so they have to work together. But uh, having said that, right to repair legislation is a big consumer issue, and I think they recognize that. And, and that they have to work together 
and to get uh, something passed. And the associations, whether it's uh, Auto Care Association or uh, MEMA, they recognize that and they've been working on right to repair legislation independently and together for, for years. And they recognize that this new Congress is perhaps the best chance that they have in 2023 and 2024 to get some national right to repair legislation passed. It's really top of mind right now with consumers, whether it's consumer electronics or appliances, the uh, associations and automotive right to repair is hoping to ride on the tailwinds of that top of mindness of consumers for right to repair in, in those industries. Thank you for setting that up for us. Repairact.com. Repairact.com is where you need to go if you have not ever yet signed the petition that says, hey, I'm in. And the beauty of Repairact.com is it figures out who your legislator is and sends them the letters and gets you on that petition. But I think this is more than just us as an aftermarket, you know, maybe the million people that work in it to sign a petition, but it's our customers, Rob. And the more we know, the smarter we can be when we talk to our customers about, you know, where did, where are you going to get your Apple phone fixed? You know, if, if Apple didn't start to realize that they had to give up some of that intellectual property in order to get that stuff fixed, look at the high-tech appliances that we have today. We've been working on vehicles with our, our head under the hood for years. We, of course, realized all the electronics that are in it, but the computers that control it. Now, I know we all know that, but the hood and that intellectual property basically is locked if we don't get something done about it. That's right, Carm. And it's important to stress, and it's stressed on Capitol Hill from uh, the association's point of view, it's really a consumer issue. That is what is selling it to state and federal legislators. They want to cater to their constituencies and make sure that they've got their back when it comes to getting their vehicle repaired and that there's uh, no hoops of fire to jump through in order to get that done. And they want to get their cars fixed at their neighborhood independent repair shops because they have relationships built with them through generations in many cases. And it's important that those independent shop owners and managers, operators have all the repair information, OE repair information that they need to get their uh, longtime customers' cars repaired and serviced. That's a struggle right now, but I think brighter days are ahead. I love your optimism. And I do kind of agree with you. We've got so many great lobbyists for our side of the business with the Auto Care Association, with MEMA, that are out there pounding the streets every day. And I know there's an awful lot of legislators that do appreciate and care for capitalism and the businesses that we have and what we do to repair vehicles. And I think they're also realizing the fact that 70% we know this of the vehicles out of warranty come to the you know the independent side of the industry. Can you imagine if that goes away and we and there's a certain level of repair that we cannot do someday? And I think that's the power of of getting this thing passed. Carmi mentioned that you know seventy percent of the cars are uh, out of warranty. The OEMs, the automakers, need us the aftermarket to be there because the OE dealerships and their service departments do not have the capacity to repair and service the entire fleet. It's a very interesting dichotomy 
where they're kind of bumping up against us, but they need us at the same time. It's kind of a head scratcher. I can imagine being in those boardrooms of the big, the big five, the big six OEs and saying, God, how much longer can we keep this? Because we, I think it's going to crash and burn. And what can we get from it if we do it? That's right. We could go down a rabbit hole. I'll just mention it, but it's been argued that what the OEs really want to do is control the parts and the parts distribution. And that's a large part of it. And that's something that often goes unsaid. Well, no, it, it's been on my show and I can't remember who it was, Rob. It could have been uh, Joe Register uh, on one of the shows that I did with Joe before he retired. Talk about a brilliant man talking about technology. And I think it was Joe who said, Carm, it's all about the parts. If they give you access, they want the parts. That's right. I, I actually sat down with uh, Auto Care Association's Aaron Lowe for a cup of coffee this summer, and that was a point of discussion. And uh, he he really stressed stressed that point as well. So I think that's the reality. Let's go back and talk about the John Deere agreement. Maybe you can serve it up a bit so that our world appreciates how John Deere connects with right to repair. Sure. In fact, this morning uh, I just wrote an opinion piece on that. Don't let right to repair be put out to pasture. And the recent agreement between John Deere on sharing uh, repair information that was done uh, on Sunday with the American Farm Bureau Federation is actually a sign that the aftermarket might have manufacturers thinking because they know that state and federal legislators are gaining momentum for passage of a federal or state right to repair legislation. On the face of it, it looks like the farm equipment manufacturer, John Deere, who is a longtime opponent of right to repair, has finally come around. But the Farm Federation shouldn't be fooled. It all sounds great and good, but but why now? It's because we're gaining momentum for a right to repair legislation. They almost want you to look the other way. Hey, look at John Deere just did this. What's the big deal? And as as you stated in your opinion piece, and thank you for sending it to me, I did read it. Great piece. You basically said, uh, buyer beware on this thing, really. Right. There's a uh, reason to be uh, suspicious. And I'll just quote one of the uh, advocates for right to repair, Kevin O'Reilly. He's with the U.S. Public Interest Research Group. He said, the timing of this new agreement is no accident. This could be a part of an effort to take the wind out of the sails of right to repair legislation. And we can go into that a little bit, if you like, too, Carm. While the uh, John Deere's agreement with farmers and independent repair shops promise access to repair information to service its equipment, it's non-binding. It's just a handshake. And it's a handshake that benefits John Deere. The agreement also doesn't state how much the manufacturer will charge for information and diagnostic abilities. That's really fuzzy and goes left unsaid. These farmers spend up to $200,000 for a piece of, of equipment, and they might have to pay eight to $10,000 just for some repair information. Uh, not to mention that when that equipment goes down and they're in harvest season, and they can't repair it on their own, that's just an annoyance, to say the least. I can't imagine a farmer trying to get the corn out of the field and having his combine go down. And I'm not a farmer. I don't know if combines is is the right piece of equipment. I'm good with that. Are you good with it? Because I live out in dairy country here south of Buffalo, and uh, we got corn everywhere. 
dairy farms and corn. So uh, you see them taking the cow corn down at the end of the season. And if it stops, you know, the weather is really up here in the north, the northeast is dependent on if, is it dry enough to be able to go out there and, and pull your crops. Can you imagine that thing going down? So John Deere comes up with this memorandum of understanding, and I'm sure there's a huge sigh of relief in the end. Ah. And to your point, it didn't say much. Anybody could pull out at any time. But what I love about it is they got him to the table, Rob. We can force the legislators to realize before John Deere said this, this was important. Let's use this. On the other hand, let's use this to get him come back to the table and seriously talk. Yeah, it's unfortunate, though, that the uh, Farm Federation actually signed it. It's kind of uh, surprising. Uh, I think I would, would have held my hand a little bit longer and use the leverage of what's going on right now in state legislators, legislative offices and and the strength that we're, the momentum. Momentum is the word I hear all the time from our industry leaders that are, that are leading this uh, initiative. But having said that, um, we're on the right path. What happens when this goes through? The OEs are going to sit at the table saying, listen, we got to make sure that the guys that are we're going to give this information to for the time frame that we're going to give it to them, they know what they're doing. I mean, how, how do you think we're going to handle that? I think the OEs aren't going to go to the table unless they know that we have a way to prove that the car owner who can give the information to the proper person. Is NASDAQ going to be involved in that in any way? NASDAQ is a very in- interesting organization. NASA stands for National Automotive Task Force. And they are a go between independent repairs and the OEMs. And they are actually successful to a certain degree working with the OEMs, obtaining OEM uh, repair information for their members so that they can incorporate them into their scan tools so that independent aftermarket can service those vehicles successfully. One of those manufacturers is General Motors. Um, They play well in the sandbox with Nastiv. They are one of the handful of uh, OEMs, automakers, that recognize that they need the aftermarket to service all those um, out-of-warranty vehicles. They need them. The other challenge though, is getting the rest of the OEMs on board to do that. But uh, it's, it's promising. Uh, NASTIV uh, and the, uh, some of those OEMs play very well in the sandbox together. So here it is. There's data on my car. I was reading somewhere like unbelievable terabits per car per year. It's unbelievable what apparently goes up to the cloud and goes to the OE. They know so much about what you do what you weigh, how fast you go, your braking habits, you know, the locations. To me, that's incredibly, you must be signing a user license when you buy that car or you turn on anything and you say, yeah, I accept that. And it goes in, but the OEs have so much data. They probably are busting their hump to figure out what we really should give out and what kind of world war 10 will there be when the car owner knows all the stuff I have on them? Right. One of the things that John Deere is not really keen on, nor are the automotive uh, automakers, are giving away the ability to crack through their security systems of, of vehicles. But to that point, Paul McCarthy of uh, AASA said, we don't want their personal data. We just want their repair data. And to the point you made just a few minutes ago, there's so much information in a vehicle. 
in today's vehicle, there's actually more information, digital information in today's vehicle than there are in fighter jets. But the aftermarket doesn't want all that information. And the argument that seems to be made by automakers is that we want the personal data or we're going to have access to the personal data. But that's not true. All we want is the repair data. It's a false argument, but it's one that the automakers are, are playing up. The security of the vehicle and the information is fine in the uh, automotive aftermarket's uh, hands. Listen, I'm really concerned as just a consumer that I take my car to a shop and they don't do something right. And my safety systems aren't working correctly or they haven't put them back in a particular order. So I think there's a lot to this right to repair. I don't think it's going to be an easy, you know, it almost seems to me that they may get something signed within two years, but I think it'll be a constantly worked on piece of legislation or rules that are going to protect. Listen, the OEs can go out and say, we've busted our hump and we've worked so hard to build all these great, to keep people safe. And now we give some kind of data, we give some access and it gets turned off by mistake. It's almost like they have to have some safety systems built in to double check it and ensure that the person working on that vehicle puts it back in the position that they always accept. Maybe that software isn't ready for it yet. I'm not sure. But that's how I kind of look at the whole safety side of this. Yeah, and I think you've made some points there, Carm. It's not a black and white issue. It's a gray issue, but it's an issue that automakers and the aftermarket can work toward together. This is, shouldn't be an us versus them. This should be an us, a, a togetherness. And we should and we can make it work together and for the benefit to the consumer. The argument is Chris Chesney of Repairify said that it's in the best interests of the automakers to give us the independent repairs, the ability to fix their cars, because we're helping them sell more cars if we can repair them. This was refreshing, simple, short, sweet, something that I think we need to cover at least quarterly here on on my show, repairact.com, and uh, this whole right to repair and where we are with it. I think we're, as you pointed out earlier, Rob, uh, in a better place than we've ever been. This shifting Congress with the momentum that's out there from the efforts that the in the aftermarket has put through, but also this John Deere memorandum of understanding, as weak as it may be, I don't think it's a smokescreen. I think we can use it. I, I, that's my opinion. I think we can use it. And just to end it, you know, um, I'll say that uh, someone once said, right to repair isn't a buzzword. It's a movement. Yeah, it is. You're right. Rob Merwin, you should go to my website, type in Rob Merwin. We've got other episodes we've done with Rob. Aftermarketmatters.com is his newsletter. Get it. It's so topical. Uh, you'll just find yourself reading it and nothing else for the whole day. Thanks for the shout out, Carm. No problem, my friend. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate all your insight as always. Rob Merwin, Aftermarket Matters. Thanks for being here, man. Always a pleasure. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.